0: as a whole is a collection of prayer songs. They spring from the struggles of a man after God's own heart, that's who David was. So even the godly can experience things like this. And we often find ourselves in similar struggles and we'd be wise to learn from David's experiences, how you and I are to react if we find ourselves, I should say when we find ourselves in similar situations. Let's read Psalm 31. It says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock, a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up in the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in the large room, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without, they fled from me. I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God, and my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, into this psalm, into this song that you inspired David to write, we can uh, associate and understand so many of the emotions that he expresses here. We might even be able to understand the fear that he expresses here. Lord, help us to also understand the facts that he came to recognize. And that will move us to faith, the faith that glorifies you individually and together as we continue worship this evening in jesus name amen verses one to four there's a david's cry for deliverance and it's a deliverance first of all through prayer i mean that's what verse one is so many of the psalms david's first response not his last resort when well i can't do anything else no his first response is to go to god in prayer he says in thee lord do i put my trust even though i'm going to explain everything That's going wrong in my life. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. He puts it there. There's a willful choice to not trust in anything else, but to put it in the Lord. He says, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. He's saying, don't let my trust, don't let my faith not get the result that you promise. Instead, deliver me based on your righteousness, based on uh, your character of integrity, It's who you are, it's who you always have been, it's who you always will be. Uh, Your character of justice, the reality that you will do what you've promised to do, you've always done that, that's your perfect track record, and you're even doing that right now, though I might have trouble seeing it. In verse two, David requests God to listen, and then act, not just to hear, but to hear and act upon his prayer for deliverance. He does it again. So verse 1, deliverance. Verse 2, crying out for deliverance again. And this time he says, quickly. There's nothing wrong with a prayer like that. And we have to understand that quick in our estimation and quick in God's estimation may be two different things. But there's nothing wrong with praying for a a speedily or a quick deliverance. And he says, God, I want you to do that for me by being my immovable rock. Uh, A strong house of defense to save me. Deliverance through prayer. That should be our first response. And David cries out for God to deliver him also through God's providence in verses 3 and 4. He said, be my rock, God. Uh, Be my strong house of defense. And in verse 3 he says, well, that's what you are. Uh, Thou art my rock and my fortress. In verse 3. David asked God in prayer here to deliver him. I think this is important. What is his basis, what is his reason for asking God to be his rock and his uh, fortress? I want you to do this, God, for your name's sake. For your name's sake. I'm concerned here about your reputation. How many times do we pray for that? When we're crying out for deliverance? It might be, Lord, I'm in pain. (laughs) And we should express that to God. God, I want to be free from this. He knows our hearts, but what if we cried out for deliverance like David did? because your reputation is at stake. You've promised to be good for me, and and, in my estimation, in my perspective, that's not what I'm experiencing right now. Your reputation, your glory is at stake. We ought to start praying with that as our bold foundation, that your glory is what I'm concerned about here, God, not necessarily just my relief, but your glory, your reputation, for your name's sake. do this. And David doesn't find himself, verse four, in, in that place of protection. In his perspective, in his way of thinking, what, all he can see around him is a net. That's what he says in verse 4. Pull me out of the net. Pull me out of that net, God. Um, in his human perspective, he finds himself caught in a hopeless net. That's what he believes. That's his estimation. There's no hope. Uh, and so uh, no hope for self-help. Just a cry for deliverance. He says, pull me out because I have no strength. Only you have strength. You are my strength. I heard a powerful illustration of God being our strength and what that really means. Uh, John Piper, one of the guys I like to read, a pastor and, and author, he talked about when he was a young child going to the ocean, and he got caught in an undertow. Have any, anyone been in an undertow or rip current? I never have. I don't want to be, all right? But he got caught in it to the degree that it swept him under, like he, his head was not above water. Terrifying thing, wouldn't it be? And he said, the most comforting thing happened. I felt my dad's hand grabbed me. My dad's hand grabbed my arm. And, And when that happened, I just yielded to his strength. To his strength. He says, the thought didn't enter my mind that I should try to show him that things are not so bad. The thought didn't enter my mind that I should try to add strength to my dad's arm. It was just a yielded affection that said, yes, I need you. Yes, I love you. Thank you. I love your strength. I love your grip. And I believe that's what David's saying here in verse 4. And that's where we need to get in our cry for deliverance. God, uh, please uh, pull me out of this net. For you are my strength. Thou art my strength. Now, verses 5 to 15, David moves from a cry for deliverance to a commitment for deliverance. Verse five and verse fifteen are very important verses. We'll start here in verse five. He says, "Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth." Does that phrase, the beginning phrase of verse five, sound familiar? Anyone else say that? It is recorded in Scripture: "Into thy hand I commit my spirit." Jesus did on the cross. One of the last things he said: "Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit." And this word, uh, this word, commit, there. Uh, as the Hebrew paqad it means to bring. Into my hands I bring my spirit. And he's talking about his everything. When it says spirit, it's his whole being. And he says, I bring it to you. I put it, as we said in verse 1. In you I put my trust. It can also mean to assign or turn over to. You, to. It's a total trust and a yieldedness here. When he says I commit. And that's the right response for someone who's been redeemed. Uh, that's his reason. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, colon, here's the reason why, for thou hast redeemed me. You've ransomed me, you've rescued me, you've bought me, you've redeemed me, and so this should be my response. In verse 6, says, I have hated, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, meaning idols. I hate those that worship idols, but I trust in the Lord. Now, we're taught to bristle against that word hate, and rightly so. Um, we need to be very careful about anything we hate or any one we hate, uh, but we do find this concept throughout the Psalms. We're gonna reach other chapters that have this concept in it. Psalm 101.3, Psalm 119, 113, Psalm 139.21 talks about things that we ought to hate. And so it's a correct response when God's glory is involved. That's a very important contingency. God's glory is involved here. Um, lying vanities, again meaning idols, literally meaning vapor or breath, something that's completely unreal. And these are those who reject God and regard instead regard all that is in rebellion against God. And someone who's going to be close to God cannot help but love what he loves. And also cannot help but hate what he hates. You know, say God hates things in Proverbs chapter 6. Um, we learn about that verses sixteen and nineteen. These six things does the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And Zechariah chapter eight, verse seventeen. The prophet says, let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. Love no false oath, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. And we ought to hate the things that God hates. Verses 7 and 8, I like this part. David does this often in the Psalms. He's crying out for deliverance. Deliverance hasn't happened yet, but he begins to see it as it already has. Verse 7, I will be glad. I will rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities and has not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Instead, you've set my feet in a large room or a large place. I don't feel constrained or cramped in or caught in this net anymore. Uh, I, you know, And that hasn't happened for him yet. He's still in the net. But he's seen the victory already. He's knowing that God is going to be who he's always promised to be, that God is going to come through for him. And, and he's anticipating and uh, already celebrating God's merciful deliverance in verses 7 through 8. So our deliverance, what we cry for, uh, that we commit to, is because of God's redemption. But it's also uh, because of of a relationship we have. That redemption brings us into relationship. So in verses 9 to 15, especially verses 9 to 13, David, I I don't want to really call it a retreat back, but his eyes get taken off the Lord, that celebration, that premature celebration already stops and he begins explaining to God, still in faith, still asking for mercy, but because his present possession, position uh, is still in the net, uh, he begins explaining to God how he feels. And that's something we should do too when we're in prayer. God knows our hearts. There's no sense in not being honest with him and being real with him. In verse nine, he says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. I'm tired of crying. You ever been there? Tears don't come anymore. Been all cried out. Tired of crying, he says in verse nine. My life is spent with grief. I mean, this is all I know really right now. I can't see the good times in the past because my focus is on my current situation, me being caught in this net that was laid secretly for me. Uh, My years are spent with sighing, verse 10. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, or my sin, we'll come back to that. And my bones are consumed. I mean, uh, what we've got here is there's a spiritual problem for sure. But anytime we have a spiritual problem, it's probably going to cause some emotions, as he described right here. And anytime we have a spiritual and emotional problem, it's going to weigh on us physically. Have you ever had a spiritual and emotional problem that made you sick? Literally. Sick in my belly. Nauseated. I'm I having pain from what I'm going through. I mean, it's not a physical illness. Necessarily, that's causing this. It's a spiritual condition. It's the emotional condition, but it's going to affect our whole persona. This is what David's experiencing even right now. But in verse 14, we got quite a turn. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I trusted in thee. I said, thou art my God. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. And I said, thou art my God. David shifts from focusing on His fears and circumstances, causing them to the facts, and in a way he goes back to verse five, when he put his life, he committed his spirit into God's hands. What did David do? Where was David according to verse five? I commit, I put, I assign my everything into your hands. So where is David? He's in God's hands, right? He's in God's hands. Uh, Even though he's experiencing all this, he's still in God's hands. Is he in the net or is he in God's hands? What do you think? How about yes? How about both? Verse 15 says, my times are in thine hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Back in verse 7, David said, you've known my soul in adversities. Known is very strong there. It's much more than what we think of known. It's not a fact like, oh, God just knew the facts that David's going through a tough time in his life. The, the known here in Hebrew uh, is, is something that is actually relating to a husband and wife relationship and the most intimate part of that relationship. It's that level of knowing, that level of deep intimacy. God is right there with David, even in that adversity, according to verse 7. We have references to Jesus Christ on the cross, right? He said that, into my hands I commit thy spirit. Was God there on the cross? He was right up until the very last, right? When he said, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that you and I will never have to be. Never once will we be forsaken. Because he was forsaken, Right? So my question for you is, Jesus on the cross, we've got some uh, inferences to that situation here in this psalm. Was God there with Jesus on the cross? Was God there with Jesus in that net? See, I don't think there's a a choice you have to make. Like, am I in the net or am I in your hands? I believe the net is in God's hands. Scripture teaches us such. Isaiah 53, 10, talking about Jesus Christ, who said this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's hard for us to understand. It says, he, God, hath put him, Jesus, to grief. In Acts 2.23, when Peter's preaching that great Pentecost sermon that people respond to and 3,000 get saved, God has Peter say this, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of the Father. This wasn't a surprise to God. It was part of his eternal plan to rescue you and me and to redeem you and me. So it was God there in the net of the cross. I think he was. Was Jesus still in God's hands? I know he was. The net and Jesus are still in God's hands. Paul and his thorn in the flesh, we talked about this Sunday night, 2 Corinthians uh, 12, verses 7 to 10. Paul says, Lest I should be exalted above measure, so there's the reason for his thorn in the flesh, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Well, who gave that to Paul? Satan. He says so, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Who else gave that to Paul? Is Satan outside of God's control? So who else gave that to Paul during that time? Who was overseeing all of that and allowing it at the very least? We see that in in Job's life, don't we? Everything that Job suffered, Satan inflicted on him, but not outside of God's control. Satan had to go to God and say, I wanna do this. And God says, yeah, you can do that. Don't touch his body. Satan says, well, that's the only thing he's, he's keeping from you. When Job didn't falter, all right, Satan went back to God and said, can I do this? And God says, you can touch his body. You can't take his life. God has got a chain on Satan. And so even when Satan gives us a thorn in the flesh, God's overseeing that. God's in charge of that. We're in the net. We're in a net. But that net's in God's hands. We're in God's hands. What was God's intent in the net? for Paul and the thorn in the flesh. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure. So God gave this to Paul through Satan. God allowed this in Paul's life so that Paul wouldn't have pride, so that he'd be humble, so that he'd be dependent on Christ alone. Now, was that Satan's intent? Did Satan want Paul to be humble? Not what Satan wanted. Satan wanted to destroy Paul's faith. God wanted to use it to construct Paul's faith. So we've got two very different purposes. In verse 15 here in Psalm 31, verse 15, he says, my times, that's a short little Hebrew word called eth, and it means circumstances, my circumstances are in your hands. He doesn't say most of my circumstances are in your hands, except for, God, you don't know what I'm going through. No, my circumstances, my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from them that persecute me. It doesn't matter if a net is in there too, because we're in God's hands, and there's no better place to be, there's no safer place to be, there's no greater place to be, even if a net is in there as well. Listen to the promise of Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, and I give unto them eternal life, eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. He's greater than the net, He's greater than those who spread the net, and no one's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We don't have to live in fear of nets, we don't. We choose to live in fear of nets. Uh, We should not focus on the nets. We should focus on the Father. We should live in fear, biblical fear, joyful, willful submission to God. We should live in fear of the Father, focus on the Father. The net is in His hands, along with you. that's because we are in His hands. Is the net painful? The thorn in the flesh, Paul said. Jesus experienced that pain. Is the net purposeful? It was in Paul's life. It was in Jesus' life. It is in your life. Yes, it's purposeful. It's for our good. It's for his glory. Satan has a purpose, destruction of your faith. God has a purpose in the net, and it's for the construction of your faith. Listen to Christ's answer to Paul. He prayed three different times, take it away, God. Please take away this thorn in my flesh. And this is Jesus' response to him, Second Corinthians 10. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, and my strength is made perfect in nets. Sometimes my grace is, uh, my grace is sufficient. Sometimes my strength is made perfect in nets. God's answer to our cry for deliverance and our commitment for deliverance uh, from, it may not be from the net. It may not be. It's promised to be through the net. That's his promise. That's assured. That's his yes. That's what he gave to Paul there. And so by faith, we are to put ourselves in this position. I put myself in your hands, God. Uh, we put ourselves in total trust in God's redemption of us in God's relationship with us. Now in verses 16 and 24, we have David's confession for deliverance. Confession is not always a negative thing. It's typically what we think, like we need to confess our sins to God. We should also confess God's glory, confess in in a testimony what he has done for us. Now, David did say uh, back in verse 10, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity, because of my sin. Are the negative things we go through in life, are they a result of our sin? Not always. All right, generally and universally, yes, they are. Sin wouldn't, uh, sickness wouldn't be in the world. Death wouldn't be in the world. Any kind of suffering wouldn't be in the world if Adam and Eve had not sinned at the beginning. That's when it entered in. So generally, universally, it's a result of sin. But specifically, individually, is our suffering always a result of our sin? No. That's what Jesus said. All right, people came to him and saw a blind man. Is this man blind because he sinned or because his father sinned? And Jesus said... No, nothing about that. It's so that you're going to see the power of God when I heal him. (laughs) And we see from Lazarus, he said, God, if you had only been here a little bit earlier, you could have raised him from the dead. He said the delay was not a mistake. And so you could see the power of God when I raised him from the dead. David's confession for deliverance in verses 16 through 24, he confesses things about God's character in verse 16 uh, through 19. He says in verse 16, make your face to shine upon thee and save me for thy mercy's sake. Earlier he said, for your name's sake, deliver me. Here he's saying for your mercy. He gets specific about who God is. He gets specific about God's name, God's reputation, as he mentioned earlier, because you're merciful. Isn't that who our God is? He's a God of mercy. Uh, We intimately know God. Because he's a God of mercy. It's who he is. It's who he's always revealed himself to be, even when he proclaims wrath, even when he warns us of judgment, he is a merciful God. We're experiencing his mercy even right now. And so throughout his word, especially in Jesus Christ, we know God is a merciful God. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14 it says, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. It's full, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is for us in Jesus. I like Psalm 85, 10. It's a description of Jesus Christ there. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Isn't that who Jesus is? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's who Jesus is. He's a merciful God. In verse 17 and 18, David returns to his earlier prayer. He gave way back in verse one, God, deliver me. Don't let me be ashamed. He says here in verse 17, let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I've called upon thee. Come through like you've promised to do. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lion lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. He's saying, I don't want to be ashamed that my cry and my commitment For deliverance went unrewarded. I know that's not who you are. You're a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. In verse 19, at the beginning, he says, How great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear thee. I love that phrase, laid up. You're not just a little bit good. You amass goodness. That's my experience in life. Even though it seems like I'm still in a net, this is who you are. You amass goodness in my life. We are in merciful and good hands when we place ourselves in God's hands, when we commit ourselves to his hands. And then there's deliverance through God's conduct. If this is who he is, he's merciful and good, how he's going to act toward you, mercifully and in a good way. In verse 19, the second part of verse 19, he says, you have laid up this goodness for those that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of man. This is who God is, not just his character, but his conduct. He works for those who put their trust in them. He works for those who who will fear him And as a contingency. We we experience God's goodness. Every single human being that ever existed on this planet, even small critters by nature, experiences God's general good providence. The sun comes up on the wicked and the righteous. We all experience God's goodness. But he's especially good. He lays up. He amasses goodness to those that fear them. He works for them. We have a God who's for us and working for us. We have a good giver. Verse 20 says, you shall hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man, the plots of men. Thou shall keep them secretly in a pavilion and in a shelter from the strife of tongues. We've got a God who, who who hides us and keeps us in his presence, in his pavilion, in his hand. I'm glad to have a God that grips. I'm glad that's a, a great grip, just like uh, pastor who talked about going under that undertow. I'm glad that there's a grip and that it's strong and I can just yield to it. I don't have to try to add to it. He's got me. He's a good giver. He's a good protector. Verse 21 22. Verse 21 says, Blessed be the Lord. He deserves to be praised. For he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. This is important. So he's, he's saying, uh, give praise to God. You know what I've known? I've known nothing but marvelous kindness from God. I was in a strong city. Earlier, he described being very alone, being very physically, emotionally, and spiritually stressed. And now he says, no, I've known your marvelous kindness in a strong city. This is what he says. This is how I was back then. Verse 22, I said in my haste. I focused on the fear. I didn't focus on the facts. I said in my haste that I've been cut off. You don't care. You're not present. It was in haste that I said that. I didn't focus on the facts. I focused on the fear. And this is God's mercy. What a description. Nevertheless, even when I was that arrogant, even when I was that proud, even when I was that bold to say something against you, to say that you weren't here, to say that you didn't care, nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried unto thee. That's a merciful God even when my faith was a smoldering wick, even when my faith wasn't bringing you much glory, you loved me enough to hear me, and you loved me enough to answer my cry for deliverance. The whole time I, I was in your hand, because I had put myself in your hand. You know what? I felt like I was cut off. That was the appraisal I made in my haste, but it wasn't reality. Thank you for your mercy of hearing my cry. Thank you for your mercy of showing me who you are, and that you're for me, and that you're working for me. In verses 23 and 24, we've got David's testimony here. Uh, He wraps it up. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints. Don't be like me. Learn from my example. When you find yourself emotionally, spiritually, physically assaulted, when fear is all around you, as he earlier described, don't focus on that. Focus on the Lord. Love the Lord, you his saints, because this is who he is. The Lord preserves the faithful. He gives a positive. Then he gives a negative. Or it's not really a negative. It's a negative for those who experience it. He plentifully rewards the proud doer. All those people that were causing all David's problems, God's a God of justice, and he'll take care of it. We ought to let him take care of it. He plentifully rewards. He plentifully takes care of the proud doer. But for us, he preserves the faithful. David spent the last seven verses describing God's character and displaying God's conduct. It's how he's helped us to focus on the facts so we can move from fear to faith. And now he says, learn from my experience. Don't do what I did. Don't say in your haste that you've been forsaken of God, that you've been cut off. Don't do it. Instead, verse 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All you that hope in the Lord. He tells us here in the last verse, love the Lord, saints, Love the Lord, who's the preserver of the faithful. Love the Lord, who brings justice to um, the proud doer. And be courageous. Hope in the Lord. So when we find ourselves in a place just like David described, what are we to do? We cry for deliverance. We do in prayer. Uh, Seeing God's providence, we ask him to deliver us through his providence. Uh, We have total trust and commit ourselves for his deliverance we put ourselves in his hand as he said in verse 5 and then in verse 15 we realize that's where we are doesn't matter if if things around us are telling us otherwise we're in his hands and then finally we confess that deliverance so praise team and tommy's going to come up now we're going to have the opportunity to do just that i'm going to sing a couple more songs